Welcome to Quantum Thinking 2023. My name is Andres Chaves, founder of Future Hacker. We are celebrating three years where we will build a global community with incredible people from over 40 nationalities and have backgrounds in more than 100 different areas of knowledge who will work on projects of great impact for the future. Our mission is to expand human mindset and knowledge frontiers. Today, we will have an exciting debate on the boundary between reality and fiction. Let's get started with my partner, Eduardo Iha, to dive deeper into our day today. Let's go, Edu. Thank you, André. First of all, I'd like to invite everyone to follow us in our social media to access more amazing content. Throughout history, our curiosity about the future as individuals and society has always brought us some restlessness. Sci-fi movies and books have become powerful prototypes of our imagined futures, driven by technological evolution or utopian dystopian visions. Sci-fi narratives take us on imaginative journeys, blend humanity, technology's impact, and scientific hypotheses into compelling stories. While we lack a crystal ball, our creativity and imagination enable us to envision hypothetical futures. Whether fueled by curiosity or necessity, this process prepares us, calms us, or ignites a sense of urgence for what lies ahead. Now, we are thrilled to welcome Marta Ordeig, the founder of Garage Stories and our keynote speaker. She will share her experience of merging innovation, storytelling, sci-fi to create impactful projects in our world. Marta, it's an honor to have you here. Welcome, and the stage is all yours. Well, thank you so, so much for the invitation. Uh, first of all, because I am a huge fan of your work and how many people you've managed to bring together from so many different fields. Also, because the other guests that are going to be part of the debate are also super amazing, super interesting, and with very different different backgrounds and, and, and visions. And third, because I love storytelling, I feel science fiction is an amazing field that hasn't been taken seriously for a long time. So this is like um, just like an opportunity to have the best time. So thank you so much. And to, to get started right away, can you all see my screen? You should be seeing um, Tom Cruise and standing into a screen. And I will get started right away and just play this short video. Oh, I love this part. I've got no address, last known or otherwise. No tax returns for the last five years. So can CIC, maybe he's got a microphone. Send a protection team as soon as we lock location. It looks like federal housing, concrete, glass, egg crates. Ouch, with a thousand of those in the district. Pressure damage is coming in, numbers. This is one of the most famous scene of Minority Report, a movie that was released on October 2002, but it was set in 2054. But as most of the time, I will say that the most interesting story is the backstory of, of that movie. And I would love to talk um, to you about the, the men in the, in the black shirt. But first of all, let's see how it started. So 
Steven Spielberg, who was the director after releasing the super popular uh, film E.T. in 1988, he decided to bring more scientific knowledge in, into his films. So in 1999, three years before the, the minor, Minority Report was, was, was even getting into production stage, he convened a three-day conference in Santa Monica, where he brought together urban planners, uh, technology specialists, uh, economists, Zitra, and, and a lot of members from the MIT Media Lab. They, he brought them all together to put together a, 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 an 80 page uh, Bible about what the year 2054 could look like. Part of this group was also, for example, guys like uh, Jaron Lanier, who is the father of, of VR and, and many other relevant um, pioneers. And also this man who, whose name is John Andekoffer. And he was actually hired to be the scientific advisor of Minority Report. So essentially he left the MIT Media Lab in Boston and flew to Hollywood to help design this technology that you have just seen on the first clip that I, that I presented. He spent, I think it was like about a year trying, how, um, trying to, to envision how this technology will work. Actually, this technology was the result of, of his research at the MIT, altogether with other of his colleagues. But um, one of the things that was very interesting that I read when I was, when I was exploring um, how they put this technology together is that they didn't only design for screen how it will work. It also, they also designed um, for the screen like small mistakes, like regular technological glitches so they could make it super realistic. And that, that was part of, of the design of it all. So uh, fast forward, once the, the movie was released in 2002, he started receiving a bunch of calls for Fortune 500 companies who were interested in the technology that they had seen on, on the movie. And, 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 and they were um, interested to know that whether this technology was available and if not, if he could build that for them. So John spent, uh, I think was a couple more years, three years working in, in Hollywood, helping other movies. I'm not sure right now which ones, but I think Hulk one of them. And in 2006, he left Hollywood to start his own company where he actually wanted to develop this, this technology that's called um, G-Speak. And this is a short trailer. This video has no sound, by the way. This video is, is on the website of his company, Oblong Technologies, where he tells the story actually in a very interesting way of how the whole company started. But here you can see what you saw in Minority Report uh, developing backstage of this technology. It was not only about the being able to, 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 to move the information by hands and to interact with it this way, but also having all the screens interconnected and, and so on. And this is the, the, the current, this is a screenshot of Oblong Technologies, his company today. There is a whole another other story about this, why this technology or this form of interacting with information didn't work the way he envisioned, but he still kept uh, the interaction between screens and so on. And he has a whole um, 
game um, line of products based on 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 this technology and he's also currently the director of looking glass which is uh which is actually one of the first tech providers of garage stories the company that i run and essentially there are holograms that are inside crystals and they can also interact with them with movement and 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 so on but moving on it's also interesting how still in 2019 a lot of news articles refer to movies when they want to talk about certain technologies because at the end movies is what most people know or can relate to when we are talking about things that maybe don't exist yet and this article is is from 2019 so this was 17 years after the movie another thing that's interesting is how in in many articles they call it a premonition right as if like whatever happened in the movie was something that someone envisioned and was completely right about that thing was was going to happen and, and here is another recollection of other examples for example we'll have this movie uh total recall where they envisioned the driveless cars and it was in 1990 or 1927 where we envisioned robots in the movie metropolis or even something that right now doesn't even sound like something new like digital billboards we've seen them for so long and so many places that they sound like the most commonplace it wasn't in 1982 or this movie from 1968 where they envisioned tablet computing space tourism i'm not sure we are there yet and in city so yeah this is this is some interesting examples right and and this is the, the one of the the big questions do they predict the future or or they help us envision what it could look like and here an, an interesting article i also found about elon musk where he was talking about the science fiction book that inspired him to start spacex so going back to the uh, to the original question and whether does the, those movies and those writers and those directors were uh what could see into the future or what's what's actually going on I started looking into the the power of stories right like not only about the future just stories stories in general and stories have been with us since forever is the most um is a tool that we've had since always and it's a way that we are able to transmit knowledge to preserve the past to communicate the present and sort sort of forecast or or envision the future rather than forecast maybe and stories are particularly powerful when they work in, in constellations and by that it means that they may be different stories about different topics different characters but at the end they reinforce similar visions or similar messages stories working in constellations they are really really powerful and one example that's not science fiction at all is disney all disney movies are different they have different stories but at the end, in, in, in that case, they reinforce a very similar message about the role of women in, in society. Also, stories can completely destroy that, that, that social standards and, and they can go and do the reverse action. And sex in the city is pretty much a classic by now. But at the time it appeared, it was a whole revolution. And how could they be portraying such freedom of, in, in women their age? But if we continue with the with the thought of constellations and science fiction, if we look a lot a lot uh, to a lot of 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 science fiction that that has been around for for quite some years, at the end, one thing that these movies have in common is that normally there is one single hero 
normally a white male that saves the planet in company of a beautiful girl that's most the imaginarium that they have projected on us about the future and also it's normally like absolutely destroyed walls so 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 at the end this is what we we start envisioning that's the future because it's not only one movie it's a whole constellation of movies that create this this sort of imaginarium of what the future could or would look like also looking into into narratives in other aspects let's say for example two examples about economic stories there is a brilliant book called the narrative of economics that talks about how storytelling has influenced so many economic crises and movements and for example a very um, a very white um not sure recent but contemporary one is artificial intelligence and the narrative that they are going to take away our jobs this narrative that becomes viral they have a a huge power let's say for example in a country where there is high rates of of unemployment this narrative that ai is going to take all of our jobs away then what could potentially happen is that people before that happens start spending their savings into buying real estate or stock markets just because they are scared of that future that they envision that will have a huge real impact on, on the real estate market so that's now power of of storytelling and looking at bitcoins coins that in 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 many ways their value depends on the value that we all believe that they have so for example bitcoins in general have a very sexy narrative because it's about going against the system and it's young cosmopolitan people that are questioning everything and they're trying to change the system so it's a very 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 attractive narrative so conclusion here is so far that narratives are extremely powerful so if they have this power at all these levels imagine the power that they also have about the way we forecast the future that's the only thing that we can actually not see or even check with anything else at the end once we've seen so many movies that like that showcase such a very similar future at the end that's what we are assuming that that we're moving to and also here i started looking at some 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 new trends in the use of science fiction today that i think that's going to tie pretty well with some of the with some of the um the debate points of view more more in depth here just a brief introduction and and summary one of the first um one of the first um interesting um new trends that i found in science fiction today is that before and as i was showing because the science fiction movies that i was showing maybe are from 2000 more or less most of them here is more the the the, um, the shift between the hero being an individual like let's say spiderman just to put an example to a raising trend of the heroes being a group a group of people like for example at this show the the expanse that's based on a on a books where the, the protagonists, the main characters are a group that are the United Nations Security Council. And they are essentially, I will talk a bit more about the narrative later, but they are a team and there is no such main character per se. But even in Spider-Man, if you see the latest movie of Spider-Man, there is not only one, one Spider-Man anymore. There is a bunch of Spider-Mans that they 
sort of work together they also fight together because they are mimicking humans so yeah that's what happens but essentially there is not one single hero anymore it's, it's a collective of heroes now interesting in trend is like authoritarian governments and and the potential damage that corporates can 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 cause it's also raising uh, uh, a raising topic so for example levithium falls is uh one of the books of the expanse the tv show the the the, the, the series that i was showing before and and this one despite it's a space and a space opera it's called new space opera which are not so much about space races anymore and just fighting but it's more about ethics and and post-colonialism and social differences and and there is a lot of ethics and morals that are brought into the questions let's say that the space is the excuse to talk about all of these but it's not anymore on the core of the um, of the thing that we are discussing also this other book for example autonomous it's about pharmaceuticals and in an industry that that's tailored for good how certain strategies or protocols or whatever can actually take it to the other to the other side and also this other book um it's actually a, a whole series that's quite famous and it's related to climate change but the fifth book it's all about politics and and how ambition and the systems that we establish that then they seem like they have been always like that and, and and it's also again about power and ethics so ethics is one of the it's taking sort of the of the center stage instead of being an, uh, a secondary topic on on the themes and also of course climate change is one of the things that worries us the most because it's a pressing issue so there is a lot of science fiction about um climate change one thing that's interesting about this this subgenre is like despite its its literature isn't dismissed the same way that a lot of science fiction is so there is even phds that are based on on climate um science science fiction and i i found these two ones that this one the, the broken earth is the the one that this other book belongs to the five season also belongs to this um to this collection and it's one of the most uh well-renowned books in that in that area and also new york 2040 which also very interesting because it takes a quite interesting edge on climate change and i don't want to make a spoiler about it another another raising trend is is for example afrofuturism but it's also like a lot of um minorities that are also taking the the center stage and using science fiction to to change the story or they make or to to um, to talk about their story in different ways so um that was a book that became very famous now it's a a, a, a series in in amazon it's it's very interesting how science fiction is also how science fiction is being used to talk about the past and history and and to sort of um bring new points of view in, into the table and linked to that there is more and more international work till now predominantly the most famous science fiction stories have been mostly from the us and also normally male writers 
now there is a huge diversity like from international works from all different countries which also brings very different perspectives and it changes completely the kind of main characters that we were used to having um also gender diversity and and so on so there is like a whole new there is more underdog um science fiction to call in a way because there is much more widespread of voices and it's much easier for people to to get their their works out also um and this is a trend that we were also seeing um before when talking about the new space opera where the space is the skews more and more books are not so much about ideas or concepts are more about people and behaviors and social um textures and for example this this book um from tochi it's about how etiquette and and bureaucracy not only when it comes to to more distant uh, circles in we live in but also when it comes to family and friends how these protocols that are defined or pre-established and that we don't question how this could take also like strange turns to call it some way and another trend that's also very interesting it's um in for example black mirror one thing that i feel they have done brilliantly is that they have made you the main character a lot of the chapters are very relatable to you and how the technologies that we are really using can actually affect you in very negative ways but they have made it very personal and i think that has been um a huge um a very interesting approach to to this this is a few of the main trends and i'm sure like um the, the other participants during the debate will be able to elaborate on them way more but here also looking at methodologies like innovation methodologies that had um that have um embraced um science fiction in in their practice right and and i would say that the most common one is design fictions not at the beginning where the way we will go and solve a problem right it's like we have a problem and we use business design and technology and we have a solution so it's very focused on the now i have a problem now which tools i have I solve it evolving they came speculative design so it started forecasting or trying to envision how how what will be the potential impact of, of technology or the different developments of technology and then we get to design fiction where it takes one more step and it starts envisioning how these new tech futures are interconnected and are affecting politics and society and ethics so it's not only here I feel the arrows are only going up but I also feel that they should go up and down because at the end there is like a system where everything is constantly influencing the other thing so politics is influencing society all the time society is influencing politics all the time so I think there is a lot of arrows missing in this graphic but as a, as a general idea works and one of the one of the most interesting techniques that, that uh, design fiction uh, has is diegetic prototyping, which is essentially objects that tell stories about possible worlds. And just to make it like crystal clear, that will be a perfect example of what is design fiction. Because that particular box of cereals, cereals that are made of organic cricket flour, will only exist on a very particular world where certain things have taken place 
So around this object, there is a lot of stories and a lot of information to be digested. Other examples all around food, but for example, this coffee that doesn't track your data <laughs> or this antiviral pasta, which is for a very apocalyptic world. So these simple objects have so much thought into it and they help us sort of make those futures tangible. And this is essentially what Minority Report did. They created the technology that had that made sense in a specific context. They gave you the use, as I was saying, they all also created glitches on that technology. So it could be extremely realistic and, and applicable and relatable. And there is a lot of companies, like, for example, I, I found this, uh, a lot of companies that are starting to hire science fiction writers to, to use their visions sort of to stay on top of the wave, right? To, to not only do what they can do today, but to start to, to, to look more, more ahead. And for example, Microsoft had this, this lab that they call Future Visions, where they invited uh, nine, um, science fiction authors. And they, they gave them access to the Microsoft Research Center. And so they could work with it and they brought their stories about what those technologies and the research that was being um, undertaken could lead to. And this is a meme that I found like <laughs> casually, but I thought that was very interesting on, on, on how on what I think that happens a lot of times, right? There is the ethic perspective and there is also, oh, that's cool, let's do it. So I, I think like this this graphic um describes very well what, what happens in 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 many occasions. Because at the end of course decisions are, are 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 made for different reasons and not everyone has the has the the, the same goals. So this is a little bit uh the the brief uh, recap about science fiction, the way it's used um, as an introduction for the debate that's also going to take uh, part later. But I would also like to share very briefly, which is our personal uh, take of garage stories in, in science fiction. I have a very short video of one minute so you understand more what we do. So then it makes more sense the way we work with it. So this is going to play it. Very short.
just a bit of introduction so it makes more sense what I'm going to explain now and how we use and how we apply storytelling in, in, in science fiction. Um, for us, despite grad stories that started as an innovation lab for storytelling, we more and more started realizing the potential that storytelling has innovation. So we sort of rever reverted the sentence. A and we started seeing in the first place how a lot of solutions or ideas are actually based in storytelling, how changing the narrative or how I think these narrative to ideas can, can really help those ideas grow. But also, if you look at the at the most common image of a startups, you will always normally see a picture like that, where they go from, from pre-seed to growth, and they always stay on the small um, green leaves. And we believe, especially because we normally work for, for projects for impact, that storytelling, in the same way that can, that can make us believe that the future is going to be dark, destroyed, and there is no solution left for us, it can also have the complete opposite effect. So... So we believe that those startups, those ideas that are proposing change that are necessary, that are for good, with storytelling, they can reach its maximum potential in the first place because they make those those projects relatable and because they can activate mostly also um, collective action. And there is a lot of ideas that actually need this collective action to 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 reach their maximum potential. So we sort of see that that stories. That's what they can bring to 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 ideas working hand in hand, because the the story in a way creates this need or this collectiveness or this community, and the and the idea the startup gives a call to action to make that that a reality. So we really see that that combination very powerful in the same way that like we believe that that environment is everything. Community where those ideas and those those projects are planted is one of the most important things. We still love new media and, and the way of how we see what new media brings to the table is that visually, I imagine um, new media as one of these super busy markets. Because in these busy markets, it's in the same way what you can do in an immersive and interactive experience. It's a place where you go to socialize, to hear the news, to make business. And one of the three key, the three key elements for me that new media can bring into the table is the concept of interaction with the story, with the creator, but also with, with other participants that are also other members of the audience. Also the involvement, because you are part of the story, so it's harder to stay removed or, or neutral. And also because it creates commitment, because more and more what these technologies are allowing making it more social is that actions that I can actually translate in, into the into the real world. So in a way, we see a little bit the evolution of what technology has empowered. Initially, art, let's say I have put here a sculpture where I have I could have put a book. It's more of a monologue where me as an audience can can watch and feel and react and share these ideas with 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 my 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 friends and, and my colleagues. But it's more like of a monologue from the creative to the to the audience. And digital art sort of empower to to and, and sorry for the examples it's just to illustrate the concept um it allowed the conversation between the creators and then having people feedback and starting conversations and allowing people to be part in a way of of, of the story but the third level is is how how these new media these experiences immersive and interactive can actually can can create co-create can allow people to co-create experiences with the direct input in the real world 
And in one example or one use case that I really love, for example, is digital twin copies of cities where they allowed ideas and projects to be tested in these digital copies of the cities because before they are actually implemented. In my opinion, these stories, these cities don't have, they're missing a lot of storytelling to actually reach the level of impact that they could have. But a project like this, if you add storytelling and you allow people to get involved into building these cities, I think that they're like excellent tools for, for community and co-creation, which at the end, for me, the future should be democratic. And I think one of the trends in science fiction that I love the most is the one that's opening the doors to so many people to be able to share their stories and then to bring in so many different points of view. Think that allow us not to take the future as it is, but to take an active role on on what we would like this future to look like. Because I feel most people don't think that they have any power in the future. And one game I normally do in a lot of workshops is I make an axe on the floor, asking people if they think the future is going to be better or worse on one axe, and on the other axe is how much power do they feel they have in contributing to that future. And most people, like, they may change maybe better or worse, normally worse, but like most people stay on the side of the line that they think they have no power. And I think this is the first message or the first thing that should be changed to empower people to understand that we all have a say in the future. And the more it scares you, the more you should get involved, because otherwise there is someone else um, taking that decision for, for you. And till here, it's my presentation. I have prepared a little, a little game that I don't know. Um, how do you want me to handle or explain the, the the game? Maybe I should briefly explain it, and then and then and then you guys can play with it. But essentially, um, you will have a table like this. And then you will have two folders, one with focus, which is what goes in here. So you there is many different topics. You can choose whichever one it's more interesting for you. And then you can also choose a, a technology. And it's a, and it's a little game to design a superhuman. And I was very, very, very careful to use superhumans and not superheroes. Because at the end, a little bit, the concept of superhuman is how technology is going to empower us to become more powerful in a way that's desirable to us. So here on this, this, this first board is just to choose your focus and your the main technology you want to focus on. You can choose more than one, of course. Just uh, the settings in which year are you thinking that story? Uh, 2054, I don't know, 2025 or 2300, whatever. And a short premise, and the three um, prompts that I invite you to to imagine, based on all the the interesting conversation that that happens today, is choose between one of these three three options. The fair one will be to make a storyboard about one day in the life of the superhuman in first person. So you really try to envision what happens in one day of the life of that person. Second option is that you write a news article about some event where that superhero, superhero, no, superhuman, that's very important, superhuman was involved. And the third one is about an advertisement about that technology. 
slash object, object empowered by technology that gives you superpowers. So you can, you can choose between one of the three. And, and yeah, that's that. But I, I think that they have planned to do this game afterwards. So, so yeah, that's, that's for me now. I don't know if there is any questions or how do you, do you want to, do you want to do this? Great, Marta. What a great presentation. About the material, uh, we are going to share with everybody uh, afterwards. Uh, we're going to send the link to everybody who is watching us. And of course, they, they have, uh, are going to make available all your content also, so people can, can pay, make contact directly to you. So. Thank you very much, Marta. And well, for the second and final part of the event, I'll invite Maria Taidi, partner at Future Hacker, to moderate the roundtable that will bring together leading international experts for an incredible debate. Welcome, Maria. Thank you so much, Eduardo, and thank you, Marta. It was a really great presentation, a lot to discuss, definitely. And so, let's talk about how it's going to play from now on, okay? We have three very special guests with us today. Each will have around 10 minutes to share their perspectives. Afterward, we'll have a roundtable debate, followed by opening up for questions from the audience. So, everybody, you have the chat working right there on your right. Feel free to use it, discuss, exchange ideas, and ask your question. And at the end, we'll do our best to address at least some of them, right? If you go to the links tab, also on your right, there's a very short survey that you know, if you could kindly answer before you leave the event, it would be amazing. So let's begin with our future hacker, Paula Martini, the founder of the Media Literacy Initiative, Internet das Pessoas, which means Internet of People. She's also a futurist and a sci-fi enthusiast, especially when it comes to books. Paula was the former head of innovation at the worldwide renowned Museum of Tomorrow in Rio de Janeiro. Recently, she organized and launched an amazing exposition focus on the Brazilian style sci-fi. I believe this will be a great way to kickstart our conversation as we discuss the differences between mainstream and blockbuster sci-fi productions versus regional initiatives. Welcome, Paula. Hi, all. Good to hear you, Marta. Thank you for, for your explanation. Thank you for this invitation as well. And regarding, I, I'd like to start with something that Marta just brought in the in the main frame of what she said, but mostly in the end of, as a message um, regarding desirable futures. I think we we have tools in order not to navigate only um, around dystopias and and utopias as well. Maybe maybe we can we can more than predict or. Or, or just uh, feel what's coming. It's it's old. Uh, our way, a very very specific way to think about and to um, let's say uh, make a, a tangible form of what may come next. An anticipatory way, but mostly. Uh, regarding what we want to see in the world. I think that's a point where I want to start from. And as was said, I just uh, run an exposition. It's now, 
it's now on on the Museum of Tomorrow here in Rio de Janeiro, uh, that uses our um, very own visions, possible visions of the future, desirable visions of the future. Let's say putting together Afrofuturism, indigenous futurism, and ways to look at time and, and futures um, with a very own, a very, uh, let's, um, a very Brazilian way of, of doing it. And so um, this is what I want to start from, because as we are now um, uh, uh, inside this IA revolution, sorry for my, my broken English, it's been a while. Uh, as in, we are within this AI revolution, uh, we are mostly when we come to narrative, people in general don't have this very essential part of our heuristic, of our way to see things and to, to make sure it happened or not. Let's say fake, uh, deep fakes. When I see something, uh, my, my, my brain thinks if I saw something, it happened. But now we are getting into a, a time, the, the, the very beginning of a long time, in which this kind of thinking, this kind of heuristic won't work anymore. And so uh, I created Internet of, of People, which is Internet das Pessoas in Portuguese, so that can so that people in general can have a little bit more of uh, media literacy, a digital literacy, in order to gain more sovereignty or more, to be more autonomous regarding our day, daily life, because we just cannot separate anymore online and offline uh, lives. And taking a look at, just bring it all together, taking a look at those speculative futures, in which we can we can and maybe we should try to to put together our originary ways of comprehension of of time of social of economics as well circular economic and something like this uh, if we get this freedom if we work on taking lots of layers that we've been since we were ch uh, children We've been uh, gaining layers of prohibition on how to think about the future, and so uh, when I when I bring this literacy, digital and media literacy, I also work in a way that mostly uh, more than being uh, users, we should be um, we should be feel like we are empowered to act as producer uh, as producer and as people that um, imagine what will be coming next, mostly for children. I, I love to, to, to have them as the, the main, the main uh, audience of everything I do. But I work through families and through educators so that they can, they can pass the message in a way that those children will be able to, to get. And so um, this experience, just to close this, this experience regarding this exhibition, it's called sci-fi, uh, but it's not sci-fi as I'm telling you is this important in English, but it's written down S-A-I, 
F-A-I. Just like if someone that doesn't speak English would be hearing it and, and being very sure that those kinds of futures could only exist if we take this mission of bringing together what brought us here and and that's one of the points in which um, that's one of the points regarding which i'm a very huge fan of afrofuturism authors like octavia butler and and marta also brought brought some some trends regarding it because um i think we are done of of those innocuous futures very global north futures and that's time for us to to bring what what we have in in essence that makes us as different in a way to to look at social and and social mostly relations for for people um and i also had the the opportunity to uh, at the museum of tomorrow as well I was working in this UNESCO chair for for futures literacy. I could be a multiplier. I could uh, do some some workshops for multiplying this anticipatory future, these anticipatory uh, methods in which we can think about the future and mostly empower people to to be their the actors it's a partnership between the museum of tomorrow and the federal university of rio de janeiro and, and i think this is a very important way is the first um, the first unesco uh, unesco chair to be hosted in a museum not a university because anyway chairs are uh, always related to academic issues and thinking about speculation and mostly this uh, putting up desirable futures, I think this was a, a kickoff in a way we should be approaching futures, um, futures ways, of, futures looks, and I think it's this as for for starting. I, I'd love to hear from all the guys that are around, and thank you again. Great, Paula. Thank you so much. And you know, for the audience uh, that uh, will have the chance to be in Rio de Janeiro, don't miss uh, Museum of Tomorrow. So the sci-fi exhibition is still on. And uh, Paula, we also here at Future Hacker believe that uh, media literacy is so important that we are actually doing a roundtable just about it pretty soon. So guys, stay tuned. Um, one more note is that everybody, don't be shy. The chat is there. Make your questions. Your chance is now, okay? And we're going to go through them um, after the roundtable. So uh, next, we have our future hacker, JP Mello, our second timer here in Quantum Thinking. So JP, thank you so much for being here with us again. He's the head of sales in the high-tech industry at Microsoft. And apart from being a tech enthusiast, he also has a passion for music. Recently, he has been specifically excited about the use of artificial intelligence to bring the past to our present and then discuss the future. Isn't that right, JP? We're <laughs> delighted to have, you, to have you back with us today. I can't hear to wait your insights once again. No, I appreciate the invitation again, um, Maria, Andrea, Duda, 
Thanks for the great panel uh, discussion here, starting with Marta and your exposition. Appreciate it, Marta. Thank you, Paula, for your exposition as well. Looking forward to hearing this from Sylvia. I loved everything, you know, just uh, setting the stage on what Marta said about the matrix that you drew, where people believe about the future being better or worse, and then people having the ability to control and not control the future. Um, I totally believe in that because I think anyone can not only predict, but most importantly, shape the future, right? So anything that we put in our minds to work will happen. Uh, so if people start believing in something, that something will likely, you know, most likely happen. And, and something that I heard from Paula's interview with Future Hacker, the future scenarios are you know, the materialization of what we desire, energize, and create in the present. And I love that line because that's totally in line with uh, uh, what we can portray of what we want the future to be, right? And talking about sci-fi, you know, and I think Sylvia mentioned this in our prep call that sci-fi, uh, positive sci-fi stories are not fun. Let's put it that way, right, Sylvia? There's always, uh, you know, predictions on chaos and issues with less positiveness, even though futurism predicts and prediction seems to paint a positive world of solutions, right? And uh, the collective minds in my, my point of view tends to think about job eliminations, robotic wars, and and some negative scenarios, and that's what sells movies. But stepping back, thinking about you know very simple innovation, thinking about cars that change transportation, electricity that change our lives, computer even right uh, that created job opportunities, not eliminated job job opportunities. Uh, these technologies can also be used for you know negative ways, destruction. Cars can be used to kill people. Electricity can be used to power weapons. Computers can be used to cyber attack, drug smuggling, and, and so on and so forth. So to your point, Maria, um, for me, uh, AI is the new chapter of the book uh, that we can either continue to build these negative stories that sell or create in our collective mind the positive and bright futures that we're looking forward to, right? And uh, we have to choose our time and energy uh, wisely in my point of view that uh, we'll certainly you know, be able to shape the uh, this future that we, we so desire. And, and, uh, and something else that I, I, I like very much when Martha exposed the game on how we build our superhumans, right? Um, in in the, my opinion, and also collectively at Microsoft, we believe that uh, AI is a co-pilot and not an autopilot of our lives, right? It is an augmented intelligence. So it's, it's, it's here to build that superhuman and, uh, but AI is, a, is a, as good as its data, right? So if you're skewing data, you have only results that portray determined group within the data set. And uh, what needs to do is to, what we need to do is to ultimately democratize this data and to filter, triple check the data. And most importantly, my opinion is to live according to what we want in the future. So that data that is being captured on our daily lives can be created seamlessly, right? Into a positive future other than a chaotic uh, type by blockbuster, right? Um, I do have, uh, other expositions that I wanted to to portray to the to the broader audience, but uh, just my last comment, maybe on what Paula just said. You know, when kids, we are gaining later layers as as kids of prohibition since uh, we were kids, of course, and losing the capability to dream. And I remember when I was a young boy, eight years old, you know, learning to program Basic in my UK ninety five computer, and uh, you know 
doing crazy stuff to, to try to predict the future. Heavily inspired by music, uh, by movies, and uh, you know, a science fiction book from you know twenty thousand leagues under the sea that predicted the submarine or even back to the future and others. Uh, but also how I was able to get that creative juice and think about things that could change the world, or at least to our point, shape the world to where we want to be. Right. So very quick examples. Remember driving my car around the 90s and you know listening to my radio or cd or or whatever was playing on my car at the time but looking to the side and, and looking at other cars and people singing their music inside their cars and music as to your point where is my life is my passion and i would love you know i was thinking i would love to know what that person's listening to right and 30 years later we have that capability by sharing what we're listening in real time or uh playing soccer on atari or you know eight big games and thinking, you know, wouldn't it be great to have a game that we could manage live of soccer players from the beginning of their career to the end? And, you know, EA Sports is here. And, and multiple other examples, like even in 1996, if I'm not mistaken, when I founded my, my first company with my associates at the time, we built a business case to disrupt the music industry in 96, where we thought, you know, music could be um commercialized through the internet using mp3s and the um, record business would fail to be as is as, as it was at that time and then you know fast forward years later uh we saw Napster, then itunes and spotify and so on so forth but as a side note we didn't get the funding because the vc thought this idea was so crazy and the record companies would never die and would never change that you know it's like being jews Verne writing about the twenty thousand under the lee uh, under the sea and predicting the submarine and people call him crazy, right? So my point is the future, you know, um, is the manifestation of our personal and our collective wishes and needs for the bad, for the good, and that we have to focus our energies to building a bright future. That's my opening statement. I just loved it, uh, JP, absolutely. And I, I, next time I introduce you, I'll make sure to add that you're a visionary as well, right? <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> For the good an optimist, an optimist. For sure. <laughs> and okay, so next we are giving our future hacker Sylvia Gallister the screen. Sylvia is also a second timer in quantum thinking. Thank you so much, Sylvia, for being back here with us today. She can offer some incredible perspectives as she wears many different hats as a consultant, as the global futurist at Accenture, a sci-fi enthusiast and a consumer, and a writer focused on future scenarios. So welcome back, Sylvia. We would love to hear what's on your mind today. Hi, everyone, and thank you so much, Maria. Um, just wanted to check that everyone can hear me well. There was some echo previously. Sounds good? All right. Uh, yeah, so thank you so much, Maria and Future Hacker, for inviting me to, to speak today along such wonderful future thinkers and future builders. Um, I'm always impressed and inspired by the work um, Future Hacker does for the community of futurists and future inquirers like me. Um, and what we have heard so far is really um, another illustration of your talents. So thank you so much for, for having me today. Um, as Maria, you just explained, my name is Sylvia Galuso. I live in San Francisco. Uh, I'm registered to join you today as a, as a futurist, um, as a tech innovation strategist at Accenture. Um, also as an entrepreneur, um, before being at Accenture, I created uh, two companies and, and one of them is Silicon Humanism. 
which is a futures research company dedicated to exploring the future of tech, of work, of education, of health, and of aging as well. Um, I'm also the host of the think tank dedicated to the ethics of the futures within the Association of Professional Futurists, already really involved into ethical futures. Uh, and on top of that, as you just said, I'm a voracious um, science fiction consumer as a reader, also as a TV series enjoyer. So you, you will have a lot of examples from TV series from me today. And finally, I also love to write speculative fiction. So as you imagine, um, I, I couldn't be more excited when, when uh, could have been more excited when Maria shared with me the topic of this year's quantum thinking conference. How can we picture the future through the sci-fi lens? So what I want to do is kind of draw a parallel here between the job of a futurist and the specificities of science fiction and illustrate how um, sci-fi can be really an incredible tool at the service of the futurist. Um, Marta, Paola, and, and, uh, and JP, you have already shown a lot of this, so maybe it will be just a double click on, on what you've been illustrating so well so far. Um, but back to the process of future stories. So usually you start um, by studying the environment. You would scan for signals, signals of the future, signals of change, weak signals, you name it. Um, and then out of those, you would extrapolate to build up scenarios and identify opportunities within those future scenarios so that you can finally uh, backcast from those scenarios to build your own action plans or your roadmap to the future. So that, that's the methodology in a few words. Um, one important aspect um, of our work as futurists is really to stretch our minds into different directions and to consider futures in plural. One famous methodology by, by Jim Data introduced, for example, for scenarios, growth, constraints, collapse, and transform. It, it really has the merits, not just considering one best case or one worst case scenarios. And we have here optimist uh, future, so I'm glad to hear that, JP. Um, but what we really try to do when we create scenarios is to address different data points on the full uh, future spectrum. So as you build scenarios, you also want to give substance um, to, to these prospective scenarios, especially to push the thinking towards where there can be pockets of opportunities within those futures, or even to prepare for potential risk that you can identify in those, in those futures. So to do that, you will want to project stakeholders vividly into those scenarios. Um, as such, a major component of our foresight work is really to help stakeholders with picturing the future. So I, I like that you use the word picture, because in picturing the future, there's projecting people into those different perspectives and visions of the future to better foresee, but also feel, sense, empathize, and identify opportunities. So therefore, empathy, the capacity to envision, the creativity, and storytelling are really key qualities of great futures. So I'm sure you see where I'm heading. Uh, fiction and science fiction in particular are really an amazing tool to achieve this, to create emotions, to create feelings, reactions, and, and strong provocations to, to, to push you into action towards the future. So I want to focus today on, on three components to kind of, of launch the conversation, trying to, to, to bring here some examples from TV series and, and a few other um, uh, sci-fi uh, fiction books. Um, so, the three aspects. The first one is world building, the second is artifacts, and the third one is authenticity. 
So world building. Um, Sci-fi takes the time to create not just a story, but really a full world with different layers. You have the social, technological, economic, uh, environmental, political, even legal, and sometimes even ethical to really follow the steeper analytic framework that we use in futures thinking as well. It will develop rules, roles, constraints, and so on. So for example, a TV series that do it nicely, and, and you've been mentioning it as well, uh, Black Mirror. Each installment projects you into a new world in a few seconds, and the interest raised um, from understanding the rules and the constraints uh, in this new world. And what's also interesting with Black Mirror is that the artistic approach and the variety of colors, um, of cinematographic techniques and style chosen for each episode really anchors the world building. Another one that, that I've seen recently and really enjoyed as well is Extrapolations. So just the name absolutely referred to our, our, our job as futurists. So Extrapolations focuses on climate change, but it tells stories from different perspectives so that it really polishes all dimensions of the future. You have the social, environmental, of course, but also business and religion as well as a, a big, big part in this. So we follow, for example, the former law students becoming a rabbi in order to help the people affected by the rising temperature. You also follow a tech billionaire developing a patent for, for water desalination um, to ease the world's problems. Or you follow a researcher that studies the last handbag whale. And another particularity of the series is that it takes place over a very long period of time, which it, it, with different uh, data points, and each episode focusing on a time horizon uh, from 2037 to 2070. Uh, another example, Silo, which I also enjoy a lot. It does a great job at creating a society um, cut off from the exterior world with roles. You have the sheriff, the mayor, judicial, mechanical, and so on. Whereas people that ask to leave the silo are sent out to clean up the windows outside of the silos, which actually becomes not just a part of the world building, but a main dramatic component of the story. So the storyline and the world building are really intertwined, and that's what makes it very exciting. You can think also of The Handsmaid Tale, uh, where Gaia is dystopian version of the US. Uh, with a specific system of values, rules, extremely, extremely constrained society that does really not favor women's education and thriving. Um, just to mention here, the main character, Alfred, gets her name from the commander she serves, but it is also an echo to the word offered um, as handmaids uh, completely sacrifice themselves to accomplish maternity for their families. And also of red, the very colors that defines um, those servants. So every little detail contributes to creating that, that world building. So the vocabulary uh, can be very rich in fiction. I, I want to, to, to kind of double click here. Um, from the reliefs in silo, these objects from the past that can vary from harmless items like a pest dispenser to, to more dangerous objects uh, like a hard drive containing historical data and so on. Um, in the book, Clara and the Sun, um, we have also vocabulary that's quite interesting, like the oblong, which is a sort of tablet or phone, or the concept of being a lifted child, which resonates with being gifted, but also genetic modification to make those kids smarter. Or having an AF, which is an artificial friend, and once again, 
those concepts are really becoming a main aspect of the plot itself. And this leads us to my, to my second point, uh, which is the artifacts. Um, some artifacts can be memorable, and, and, and thank you so much for, for all this reference to minority reports, like the computer interfaces, the full body gestures, the gigantic um, transparent screens, the voice control homes, the personalized ads that scream the, the character's name, the movie as he walks by, or even the driveways of driverless cars. All those are absolutely memorable artifacts from Minority Report. You can think also of, of the steel suits in Dune, um, which present itself as a full body suit worn uh, in the open desert of the planet Arrakis. And it was specifically designed to preserve the body's moisture. So through the artifacts, you have also a lens onto the, 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 the world that you're building. Um, in a short story by Tetian that I really like, which is called Exhalation, uh, we get introduced to replacement lungs. So the characters, every day, they consume two lungs um, heavy with hair, air, sorry. And at the end of the day, uh, they remove uh, the empty ones and they, from their chest and they replace them with full ones. So you have oxygen bar where you literally uh, refill uh, your, your lungs. Um, the TV series, Hello Tomorrow to be back to TV, is almost a complete showcase of future artifacts. Um, and even if the series is about an alternate past, um, you can think of those floating cars or the, the robot uh, bartender. You have video call booths that are not exactly uh, like the ones uh, we have as we zoom. You have lunar design everywhere in an hyper-consumerist society. So wh what's particularly interesting here is how these aesthetics have been inspired by how our predecessors imagined the future um, years ago and how these imagined artifacts are here brought to life, uh, ready for our life. Um, and once again, coming back to Black Mirror, because I think that they, they really do uh, one of the best use of future artifacts. Um, in more traditional sci-fi shows, the viewer is introduced to new technology in many details through the character of a newbie, for example. Um, you can think back of Minority Report as the precogs are introduced. Well, in Black Mirror, the logic is a bit different. You first get like visual cues uh, or symbols or metaphors that really require you to engage um, actively uh, with what is going on. I just name one episode because I could do that for each of them, but in Beyond the Sea uh, with um, Aaron Pollard and, and uh, Josh Harnett, the artifact is the link between an astronaut in space and their machine replica done on Earth. And it's not introduced in an over-explicative uh, educational manner. It is just placed in the environment for us to be frontally faced with it. Uh, to slowly understand the implications and the consequences. So you start to gather cues that something is special as you witness one of the astronauts being weirdly patted by a stranger in the movie theater, or as the parents of, of the child are questioning the effect of the new setting on him. Um, and what I find particularly interesting with this approach to artifacts, kind of, of new approach to artifacts, is that it's very similar to our Institute for the Future uses artifacts, that it works uh, with artifacts from the future. Um, it's about placing them in an everyday environment for people to get a strong reaction to those artifacts. 
And if you think about it, many of Black Mirror episodes focus on one innovation at a time. It is not always a completely new world, but it's more like a world that could be similar to our world, or, or in the case of that episode I was mentioning in the like in, in 1969, with a man who cuts hoods um, with an axe in his backyard, but has this special seat that connects him to his space belt in one of the beds. And that leads us to my last point, and I will accelerate a bit because I see we're running out of time here, um, authenticity. So when sci-fi starts to be a really good tool for future thinking, I think, is when the goal is not just to display huge amounts of technology, but more to have an authentic story set in a future thing, uh, setting. Um, I would even say that too much science fiction, an overload of advanced technology can be counterproductive and even off-putting as the viewer or the reader doesn't find a common ground uh, to really connect and empathize. And I have to admit here that um, it's often how I feel when I start reading William Gibson, because in the first pages, I get lost with too many new terms or concepts that I have a hard time connecting uh, with each other and with, with like a pot potential life. So I really like that new approach, um, more thoughtful about how much new tech you bring on screen or how much new tech you bring in your in the first pages. And the way delivering artifacts is more southern and it's made in a more intimate manner. I think it's, it's both a new trend of current sci-fi, but it's also a great component of success to create effective future thinking. And here's thinking about a couple of examples. Uh, back to Silo. Um, in the first episode of the, the series, the main characters are trying to have a baby. They have been selected and they have literally one year to try and get pregnant. So it addresses the, the topic of fertility, but in a very delicate manner, an intimate manner, with a focus on the reactions of the couple as the months pass by and no pregnancy happens, with a focus on mental health. Um, and as relics are introduced, the relics we're mentioning as well, um, we don't get a lecture on what relics are. We slowly understand that they are objects that you might want to hide, that they are traded on the black market, that they refer to another type. So you discover it from a very personal perspective. And, and I like, Marta, that you presented Riot Baby and underlined that it's, it's about people and behaviors and not about ideas. That, that's really what uh, current sci-fi does really great. And my last exam uh, example to, to close um, this, this topic, um, similarly for mankind, um, my favorite one, um, allocates a lot of space for mental health topics, including grief, um, anger, feeling lonely in space, alcoholism, jealousy, competition, um, sexual identity, and so on. So the result is that whatever the time frame, this closes the gap with your current self and the notion of an estranged future self. Those characters in the future feel human. They feel close to us. They have similar concerns and joys. Um, they live similar dramas. And we empathize strongly with them. In For Mankind, the head of NASA is, 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 is a woman who loves to listen to jazz music talking about music again, and play the piano, which is a genuine touch, touch to the character. 
And it reminds us that people are, are not unidimensional in the way um, they could be depicted in old-fashioned series, where sometimes the storyline and the intensity of, of science fiction and action took over the development of believable characters. Uh, Marta also mentioned how Black Mirror makes the story personal and almost like you are the main character of the story. So as a consequence, uh, characters um, displaying tastes, complexities, and ambiguities, dilemma. Um, it makes them more agents of their future. They seem less predetermined to act. And this reminds us also of our own human dilemmas, but also empowerment that we can act on the future. Thank you. Sylvia, thank you so much. And you know, you just gave us so many great uh, examples and great references that I feel that I definitely will have to watch this event again on our channel on YouTube. Take some notes uh, because I have a whole new watch list and reading list ahead of me. So thank you so much. So let's go to the round table, the questions. Uh, We're going to put you three here on the screen. And um, I have a couple of questions that I have prepared. And then we're going to see if the audience has more questions for you guys. Uh, let's begin with uh, Paula. But still, I'd like to have each, of, each one of your personal perspectives on that, okay? So Paula, regarding utopian versus dystopian uh, futures, and um, so as we heard, uh, we know that when it comes to the future, the dystopian ones are usually the more popular, right? Is what sells more. But uh, do you believe that this somehow incentivizes a darker future perspective? And that's something that uh, JP also covered a little and saying, you know, that's what we pro project towards, right? So let's try to make it positive to have a better future. But on the other hand, there's this growing idea of a future filled with abundance. Uh, so, Paula, what's your per personal thought about it? And do you feel that you're more like optimistic regarding our future or more on the dystopian side of things? I'm not dystopian, but I'm not optimistic as well. But uh, I was thinking about uh, the movements like solar punk and other speculative uh, fiction movements that uh, try to, to do this um, undystopical uh, kind of thought on the future, on the futures, on the possible ones. Um, I do think we, we make, we, we put atoms and carbon over something we think before. And so uh, our, we are now, let's say, everything we're living now were, were thought about, were imagined before, almost everything, but we, it was imagined before. And as we have this opportunity to imagine and to, to uh, do this desirable framework of the future, it's something we could attach to because the, the dystopia is over the corner. And it's easy to get there as we've been training, trained to, to naturalize, to, to make it um, current 
to make current some feelings, some some kinds of some kind of political actions. Um, uh, Marta was talking about this authoritarian government, authoritarian government, governments and corporates. Uh, I've been read. I had a lot. Of, uh, read a lot about it. Everyone here read about it, and so we are making it more um, palatable for for the times that are coming. And and just to close regarding this, uh, I always like to think um, utopia for who, for whom, and dystopia for whom. Uh, I, I, this this. Uh, this focus on on trying to to go beyond the hegemonia the hegemonic ways of looking to the future mostly by the north the global north and i think uh, maybe even when we think about utopia and maybe we're trying to figure out an utopia that just suits the white the rich and everything and everyone that has always been uh, um, uh, took a, uh, they always took a positive approach from governments and, and companies and so and I think if you are looking towards a uh, uh, diverse and really comprehensive future that I, I I really wish this for my my children, and I think everyone does. Uh, we should start to we should, and we are in a way, but we should stimulate to to make people um, go beyond the 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 ways we think about the future now. That's why I like the solar punk, the lana punk, and we are trying to make different. And I think it is. Great point, uh, Paula. Uh, JP, what's your take on that? Uh, so my opinion is either you know utopian or dystopian. Um, I believe in balance uh, of trade. I believe in yin yang. I believe that both will happen equally. Uh, it's just a matter of being prepared on you know of an imagined perfect or ideal society versus oppressive or postal society, right? Harmony versus chaos, equality versus inequality. Um, and to Paula's comment, what I would wish for my kids as well is, of course, uh, the perfect, the harmonized, the ideal, the peaceful uh, future. And uh, while um, I, we, I feel that we have to project that and we have to get more of that, um, we need to be realistic futurists right because um those things are going to happen it's not all about you know everybody being the same or thinking the same but i think the advantage that we can place on that variable is that we have to dream without boundary right so when we start to get boundaries we start to get shaped up by the world and you know myself included when i'm teaching my kids and maybe giving them limits on thinking about the future or thinking how things could become, um, we have to, you know, look into ourselves and say, uh, should we open up uh, for whatever way of thinking, um, including the dystopian uh, positioning of, of thinking about future, 
And I think we should because we have to prepare for um, for that to happen, right? So when we talk about, I think um, Sylvia was mentioning about, you know, social tech environment, political, legal, ethical. Uh, what came to my mind also is what we're doing here uh, at Microsoft with the responsible AI, for example, and how we need to be aware of what that technology can bring us to and take all the steps that we need to take so we can bring the best out of that technology, you know, aiming forward for the good and mitigating as as much as we can uh, for uh, the dystopian side. So that's my point. Sylvia. Well, that, that's, a, that's an amazing question. Um, and here I have to, to kind of be a bit schizophrenic um, because me as a futurist, um, like foresight practitioner, consultant, um, and more like living a futurist life, I, I always try to um, to vulgarize, evangelize, and democratize um, about futures. And I feel I have a mission to comfort people about the future, to give them nice visions, to give them back their agency, and, and to replace anxiety about the future with, with some enthusiasm and excitement about the future. Now, me as a writer, I have to say that optimism makes very bad storytelling. Um, I remember at some point engaging with, with a, a small group of other futurists on, on speculative optimism, and we started writing about it. And, and it, it was just not interesting to read, like in terms of, of engagement as a reader. Um, and I really understood the, the, the complexity of these two aspects. So first of all, I think, one way to to address different scenarios as we mentioned different different methodology like full spectrum thinking or four scenarios and matricial uh, uh, scenario planning um the other solution in terms like going back to sci-fi i would say is perhaps to give to envision uh positive futures but that the the drama comes not from the future but from the personal story um, I don't know if that makes sense, but the environment could be a, an interesting picture of the future, but to make it engaging and, and to have people watch the show or read the book, to have a very personal story um, that is complex and that, that raises some, some dramatic um, effects. And in a sense, I'm thinking that that's maybe why um, some aspect of, of future fiction, recent future fiction are really interesting um, if you think back of, of all mankind or, or hello tomorrow, these are not like terrible vision of the future. Uh, what's terrible is more like the, the, the personal stories in this. So that would be maybe a way to reconcile our optimism. And, and yeah, I'll stop here now. So uh, thinking about how uncertain, right, is our future and how could people and businesses maybe use all this sci-fi creativity that we've been talking about here today and apply all those future scenarios techniques to be prepared for the unknown? Doesn't matter if we're more optimistic, if we're more pessimistic, what I think that what we have in common here and what everybody agree is that somehow we have to prepare. Uh, either by envisioning it in a more positive way 
or imagining the negative so you can prepare for that. So what are the techniques? Uh, Silvia, I'm getting this back to you. What's your take on that? And then we can go around for the other uh, JP and Paula. So the technique to, to work on creating scenarios with corporates and clients, that's what you mean? Yeah, like how, how could we use both sci-fi and, uh, you know, using imagination and using future scenarios to actually apply in our daily lives to better prepare for the future, not only in a corporate way, but also for our day-to-day, -day, you know? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, I can think of a few initiatives. There was one, um, I think it was Project Red or something. It was it was with the army um, in, in France. They use a picture to actually create scenarios of the future to inspire the French army and prepare for possible attacks that could happen in different scenarios. And, and really bringing uh, participants, stakeholders, um, uh, direct military uh, into this was really interesting. And what they did also is they didn't stop uh, with the direct people involved from militaries. They involved like different categories of the society so that the scenarios are not just like how the military would, would see the world, but also business and people. So there were uh, science fiction writers that were part, part of these scenarios, but also people from the industry and people from different categories, like those people and environment that we were mentioning earlier. And, and for me, it has, it has really been a great example of how we can use uh, sci-fi for, for real life uh, scenarios. Now, more to my, to my personal experience, um, I liked at some point, like I like to start with a very methodical approach to futures. Like really, I spend a lot of time and, and, and on the definition of, of the landscape today, understanding the landscape today. What is happening? What are the big trends? Then signal scanning. Uh, but at some point in the process, when we have all this uh, raw data, like very strong analytical framework, that's when it starts to be interesting to kind of open our imagination to imagining the future. And here you need methodology to be able to go from the analytical, analytical framework to envisioning the future. And a great way um, to do it is, for example, we proceed to, to what I call like futures envisioning or futures meditation. Like you really put people in a situation of meditation and you get them to, to relax and, and close their eyes and think about the future through the five senses approach or through a day in the life approach. And like, what if they wake up in that world? And how does the, the lights look like? How does your home look like? So I think that's a step to help us go from a very rational approach to a more meditative and envisioning approach. And of course, creating artifacts or, or creating headlines for the future, from the futures or creating uh, pieces of fiction, um, collaboration, or even using game, gamified um, tools is really interesting. And, and I work in Metaverse, so using also VR uh, to project people and, and have them interact with scenarios of the future is a, is a really great way to conduct that type of work. Great. So JP, what about you? Uh, thank you for the question, Maria. Uh, thinking about a corporation, so I've worked in multiple corporations, right? Building my own when I was 21 and then working as an entrepreneur inside corporations more than an employee, right? So I love the way that we can collaborate inside big companies and how big companies portray innovation or at least... Um, doesn't put barriers for us to, to dream and to think big, right? And, um, you know, as an example, at Microsoft, AI, 
right? It's not something new for us. We have been investing since, um, don't quote me on that, but maybe 1997 or so. It's not from last year, right? With open AI and everything that, that has been happening uh, right now, as well as responsible AI discussions uh, are not happening this or last year, have been, you know, uh, under discussions for a while. So having access, of course, with lots of investments in R&D, but most importantly, that R&D being able to be uh, filtered to innovation labs uh, to portray creative spaces. And uh, of course, again, without boundaries and with a lot of diversity, which is something that we probably have here at Microsoft. Um, hackathons, uh, we're going to have another one this year, 2023 in September, um, and multiple stakeholders participating, actively participating on whole hackathons. For example, I'm in sales, I'm a sales director, but I am going to participate as a mentor and learn from the programmers, how they're thinking, how they're doing their own design thinking as a designer as well, right? I did engineering designer economy mother, but on designing, design thinking, going to design fiction, which I love the way that uh, we have portrayed this uh, today with Martha and everyone here has the same approach, uh, um, as well as the study that she shared, Microsoft ourselves did, uh, you know, with the science fiction, science fiction writers with the future visions um, study, right? So it's multiple variables uh, that we can have as techniques to get there. But I think for me, if I can summarize into one word or two words, the most important thing in my view with companies and corporations to innovating and reaching that future that we want to reach is taking risks, right? So these two words or risks, these two words on taking risks is um, truly uh, something that uh, it, it has to come from the culture of the company the company does not have to put boundaries on that and risks are going to be used to learn, to learn fast and then take more risks to err, to get some things right, majority wrong, do it all again, right? So that virtual cycle will take us there into the journey that we're projecting. So, so that's my take on technique and, and big corporations doing so. Great points, JP, and not only be able to take risks, but also be more tolerant. And as you mentioned, most of the things will not work. So be more tolerant to that and, and also be quick to pivot, right? And just keep moving on. I absolutely love that. Paula, what's your, your take on that? I'll try to address this, uh, bringing up something that I, I made up from the, the the last question and and answers very rich answers that brought me and brought me to think about the, this is more of a philosophical approach let's say but i was thinking about the utopia and dystopia I, I couldn't stop thinking about it afterwards but uh, rather than solving our all the problems we have or on the other way falling into dysfunction uh, I'd like to bring this protopia uh, option now that some some of the futurists has been approaching since Kevin Kelly from Wired brought this term this uh, this idea and uh, uh, there's this 
futures consultant called Monica Bielski. She acts mostly with within the entertainment uh, industry, Universal Studios and DreamWorks, and mostly for uh, future. Uh, future approaches, let's say, in Black Panther and something like this. I was reading an interview with her the other day. And if we can, as entrepreneurs or companies, thinking about this other future, this protopia future, let's say, this is a framework in which we can maybe um, bring up some more regenerative and inclusive vision for the futures, the, the desirable futures, as an alternative from this to this binary utopian dystopia. I was thinking about this as this, um, let's say, an accountability that we should be not as a, as a uh, heavy way to think about it. This is not about anti-capitalism, that would be good, but it's not about it. But um, it makes me think about what's the responsibility of those players that have amounts of money and data and, and power in a way that has never been uh, existed before, as Shoshana Zuboff says regarding the, the, cap, uh, the surveillance capitalism. And so uh, if we are thinking about the future visions from those uh, stakeholders that sometimes look at the utopia as kind of a distraction from the planet destruction that we are now uh, seeing to uh, seeing and, and feeling uh, that that could be that can be um, mitigated from if from the decisions from those players and so I think we can make a, an intersection or maybe a, 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 a middle path in between the utopia and dystopia and plug more this, this responsibility of the, the economic players in a way that it can, it can move society towards we want it to be. Let's just put for thought here. It's actually a very important thought, Paula, and taking responsibility of each one of us and each of the stakeholders here. And I actually, and coming back again to the dystopian or versus utopian, your point was also really perfectly put as to whom, right? Uh, so thanks, everybody. Uh, and I heard that uh, actually a friend of ours, a future hacker as well, right, Eduardo, yeah. has something from, uh, for us. So there's something in the, in the chat that you'd like to bring it up, right? Yes, Maria. And we have one question here from Dimitris. And the question is, how can we ensure that our vision for speculative futures incorporates diverse perspectives and fosters inclusivity to prevent reinforcing existing inequalities? Who would like to, to start with? Big Answer. question. <laughs> yeah. I, I can tackle this one first, if you don't mind. Uh, maybe my point of view would be a little bit of what I uh, spoke about previously. Um, first of all, Paula, thank you for the Protopia explanation. Loved it. 
And by the way, just, uh, you know, full disclosure, I am multitasking and co-piloting while we're doing this session. So I am speaking with Bing chat and I'm asking some questions and getting a lot of feedback. So I'm trying to build my own superhuman into the conversation to get more acquainted to all such new terms and such new learning that uh, I have been, you know, able to portray on this session. So I appreciate uh, uh, that both from, from this session being virtual or else I wouldn't be able to do that. And secondly, for the technology to be inclusive and to be diverse in a way that I can punch in whatever question I have and have a conversation with a, a responsible AI that has, you know, me covered in this session. So I think that's part of my answer, Dimitris, is how can we be, you know, diverse on these future speculations and uh, how can we ensure it is an equal playing field? And that depends on us, you know, all of us. Uh, first of all, the ones that do not believe in the matrix that Marta drew on the future being better or worse, us controlling or not controlling, and people putting themselves closer to not controlling than controlling the future, we are wrong. We are controlling the future. So if we all collectively believe we're controlling that future, it will be more diverse, it will be more inclusive, but we have to get that communication, that message to the right people for them to understand that they're able to do that. And that is not an easy task because technology has to be pervasive. Connectivity has to reach everyone. Data and information have to reach everyone. And this is a little bit of what I spoke of, uh, as well about data, right? Data, AI, for example, is as good as, as its data, right? So it's if the data is skewed, if the data only talks about optimism, talks about great things, et cetera, when you're going to talk to a Bing chat, for, for example, about optimism, uh, it's going to give you great answers, but it's a skewed way. And that happens with gender, that happens with religious beliefs, that happens with politics beliefs. And what I love to see is more involvement of all companies, as we are already trying to do. But most importantly, learning from Sylvia, learning from Paul and from Marta, on our collective thinking and our collective way of communicating that we have the power to change that future. And we have access to that power to change the future. So it's a complex, and I would say too utopian way of thinking, but to Paula's point, as a protopian, more you know, equalized or more balanced, as the society is getting better, you know, each day and not, you know, becoming black or white, but again, yin yang society, maybe that's what protopia would mean. I think that's the way that we should all aim to. Thanks, JP. And you know what? Uh, when we're just talking, uh, made me think about, you know, the power of education and literacy and empowerment, right? And that's at, at the end what you're talking about. So we are privileged here and we do have the power for that, but we do have this huge challenge of, you know, bringing education, bringing literacy and empowering people so we can reach this possible future, right? Uh, Paula or Silvia, do you, do you have anything to add? 
I have a quick and I have a just a set a sentence to bring regarding it. Sorry, Silvio, but it's just this: bringing diverse people to the table. That's the only way we can reach diverse future. The there's easy as that is simple as that i think we are sometimes talking about this from a very privileged point of view a very global north point of view uh, as we are we've been talking about it all the way but it's about it bringing people to the table and making up a, 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 a pool of people that can can think the future the way that quantum reach reaches the needs and desires of as much people as we can Exactly. Yeah, and I absolutely um, highlight that aspect as well. I think at the core of the profession, of the futurist profession, we question our practice um, of futures thinking. Uh, I was mentioning that we, we opened this forum of ethics of futures within the Association of Professional Futurists um, to make sure we include a variety of perspectives. We always question the fact that when we talk about um, a group, a population, like do we belong? Are we, are we trying to look it through another lens? What are we saying? Uh, we try to to democratize, demystify, and 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 bring in more indigenous perspective in the way we do we do it. The second thing that's absolutely um, I, I completely agree with you both. Um, and as you were saying, uh, Paula, it's really about bringing diverse perspectives, including people from different fields, from from different country, different religion, different ethnicities, different genders um, to co-create. And I would say that our internet today aims to be more inclusive, more diverse with less uh, big corporation-led initiatives and, and something closer to a creator economy that favor individuals to contribute. Um, so that's the second layer, like the layer of, of professional futurists, like trying to include those layers, but also like think about like the world we're building, we're building make sure we include all those perspectives as well. And the third layer, and, and here once again, it's more the technology speaking, but use immersive experiences and VR. Uh, these are tools that really foster empathy. Um, there have been uh, numbers of studies um, showing that. I'm thinking of two VR experiences that I, I would really like to highlight and, and like invite you to take a look at. Um, one is an exhibition called uh, Traveling While Black uh, During the Segregation, uh, giving you a perspective of um, what was the impact on the population of such roles, but claiming it from an inner perspective. The second one is the beautiful uh, VR experiences um, out of the movie Notes on Blindness. Uh, they developed a VR experience where you hear an audio sound and it's mostly a dark experience where you see less and less of the world around you and it gives you to see what it means uh, to lose um, sight and when you go through those experiences because uh, VR uh, as well as this mnemonic effect where you remember that particularly when this has an impact that can be sometimes even stronger than just watching a movie or reading a story um, so yeah, that would be my answer. Of course, a bit bias here, but invite you to or that type of immersive experiences that can really help with empathy and diversity and inclusion. Maria, can I jump in here? Sorry, please, I know it's out please. of order, but love what both Paula and Sylvia said. First, Paula, hundred percent agree, and I, and I'll I'll point to this session here. One thing that got got me excited to participate in this roundtable is that I'm with Silvia, Paula, and Marta, and not with JP, Paulo, and Jose, and João, again. 
or males. We are all trying to be as diverse as we can. We have to even amplify further this. This is one of the numerous reasons that I decided to get out of a comfortable job position at Cisco and move to Microsoft, diversity and inclusion. And that speaks volume to a company that walks the walk and talks the talk. And I'm very impressed by the company taking that step and being able to portray different point of views. So uh, I totally agree with your point and we need to get better. I'm not saying we're on the utopian yet, but we're getting on the, uh, um, on the protopian side of the conversation. Let's put it that way. And Sylvia, I love your comment on AR VR to getting us into their shoes, right? There's even another one that is called, we live here about homeless people and how they're losing their homes and you're living in a place in the middle of nowhere with your family picture that you lost your house and little food that you have to find and police raging on your tent, breaking it up and you losing your home, which brings to our Maslow necessities of the human being, right? To have a shelter, to have food, to have uh, a life. And then when you think about people, once you have those experiences, the blindness one, right? I have an aunt that is blind and she always goes to the movie with her dog. And, and this is like a long time ago, 20 years ago, 25 years ago. And people are blocking her. You cannot go into the movies. You, you can't see. You, and the dog is, how can I not see? What do you mean I cannot see? Is it because I'm blind? Of course I can see. I see in my mind. Doesn't mean that I see the same way as you, right? So it's a beautiful position that you both brought to that. I just wanted to jump in and that got me uh, uh, emotional. Thank you, Marie. JP, I, I just, your, your passion is contagious, really. <laughs> and such a great uh, conversation here. Unfortunately, we're almost getting to the end of the event, but I still have, uh, let's say a surprise questions for you guys. We have about 10 minutes, okay? And then we are wrapping up. But I'd like to invite you guys to record here with all those witnesses here. If you had a chance to give your future self a message, which message would it be? Who wants to jump in? <laughs> Go ahead, Paula. Um, I hope you're doing your very best to become a good ancestry. Oh, ancestry, sorry, broken English. But anyway, you got it. Yeah. That's a difficult one. Um, I would say probably just something like, congrats, girl, you, you made it so far. So see, um, life can be difficult, but just keep on doing it. <laughs> um, and just to mention, there's a website where you can write a letter to, to your future self. And I did that exercise with my uh, two, two daughters. We did that as a family, and that was a, a fantastic experience to try to, to write that letters to a future self. I was more inspired than right now. Maybe that's a bit personal, uh, but I invite you uh, to do that. That's a fantastic personal exercise to practice. And I like the questions, Maria, just a bit intimidated here. <laughs> JP? I, I love that question. I Before I, I, I tell you mine, 
I've I've heard from one of our executives back at uh, at uh, our headquarters in Seattle in Redmond on the same question that he was asked, and he said to the audience, "I didn't want to go through, and I'm not going to get into details just to portray an anonymity and broken English as well, Paula. Sorry about that. I'm not. I don't need to get." To what I went through with my family and with the illness that they had to be able to wake up to pay attention more to my family, right? So the message is from him is I hope I didn't need to go through what I went to, you know, to change a little bit of what I am today. And I would say that this is something that, um, you know, speaks volume to my heart which is don't wait for a mistake to happen to be able to change your mindset and have that continue having that opportunity of making mistakes and learning from them, but don't wait it for it to happen. You know, just, you know, if your heart instinct says, go for it, just go for it, embrace it and continue being who you are. So that's the message that I would send JP, please record this and I'll listen to it 50 years from now, I hope. <laughs> It will be, everything will be recorded. And actually, it's actually going to be available next week on YouTube. I just, uh, I just stole Eduardo's phrase now, but I had to tell it. And guys, thank you so much. Such a rich content. Uh, I'm so glad and I'm so thankful for you guys. Uh, a lot to exchange, a lot to think about. Make sure you also follow us uh, on social media if you enjoyed being with us today. All our content is available on YouTube channel. We are also on Instagram, LinkedIn, you know, you choose. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thank you.